Good morning, Crossway. So thankful to be with you today. Thanks for having me back. We love your church. We love your pastors, Paul and Kate Kim. And as was shared, I met Paul about 10 years ago on a retreat, and we've been meeting in a pastor's group every, every month ever since. And we, we meditate on the scripture together. We share our lives. We, we pray for each other. We pray for you. We pray for your church, your building situation, the, the storms that are going on in your life, and that is our theme today, Calm in a Storm. Uh, We read from the Matthew 8 passage, Matthew's rendition of Jesus calming the storm a few minutes ago. Uh, I imagine that there are some storms in most of our lives, Uh, and that is the question we're going to be asking this morning, is how how do you react to storms, to, to stress, to unanswered prayer, to difficulties, to pain, to things not going well in your life. We all have these times as we cry out to God to calm our storm, as we wait on the Lord, and uh, sometimes we do need to wait. And so what do we do then? How do, how do we deal with that stress? Um, as was shared, I'm a psychologist, so I've spent a lot of time with people who are anxious or depressed or discouraged dealing with different challenges in their life. Uh, These days, I spend all my time with pastors and men and women in ministry, and a lot of it is the ministry of spiritual direction. But I still very much uh, am swimming around in the pool of pain with uh, real people. Uh, As our our brother just shared in his his story, challenges with uh, depression and uh, family member in in crisis. Uh, This is life. We have challenges in our lives, and so... The great question is, how do we trust God in these times? And do we know how to be calm in stress, how to appreciate God's presence, and uh, wait on the Lord for the healing, the solution, the help that we need? That's what we're talking about. And so the first thing I want to do this morning with you is really help us to uh, fix in our minds and in our hearts Uh, if we could, the face of Jesus. And uh, as you just consider with me the glorious person of Jesus Christ, and as as we appreciate together now that the Lord Jesus uh, is here with us in this room, and we believe that, we wouldn't be here. That His Spirit lives in us who, who, who believe in Him, and His Spirit is in our midst as we gather here. It's why, it's why we worship. It's why we, we study the Scriptures. It's why we share our lives and pray for each other. Because we believe in the presence and the power of God. And so, but sometimes that, that uh, fades into the background. And we, we want it in the foreground. And the book of Hebrews, in fact, all the books of the New Testament, they always begin, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they always begin with worshiping God and enthralling our minds and our hearts with Jesus. And uh, Hebrews is, is a great example. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. That's how the writer to Hebrews begins that great letter. Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. We read in Revelation that his face shines like the sun. You ever think about Jesus just glowing? Of course, we we know that he he glowed at at the transfiguration. You ever think about the fact that maybe he glowed a lot of other times because he was so full of God's presence? Remember, remember Moses, the, the people had to put a lampshade over Moses because his face was so bright after his times of prayer. Imagine, for Jesus. I think most of the time Jesus is walking around sort of hiding that, that glory. But at times it really shines out and people see it, you see. And so we, we, I, I studied this in Mark's Gospel and I found that nine times in Mark's Gospel people are running to Jesus. We sang that song, Running Into Your Arms. Don't you love that song? It brings to mind when my kids were little and they, when, when I came home from work, they would run into my arms. You see, I remember that doing with my dad when I was a little boy. The parable of prodigal son, the prodigal comes home to his father and his father runs to him and embraces him. See, running into your arms. Why do people run to Jesus? Nine times in Mark's gospel, they keep running to Jesus. The gathering demoniac runs to Jesus to be delivered. Well, Jesus has just calmed the storm in our, our main text that we're looking at this morning. How about after Jesus walks on water? People run to him after that. After the transfiguration. The rich young ruler, a bystander at the cross. People running to Jesus because he's glowing with God's presence, God's glory, God's love. Obviously after the transfiguration. But think about the power it takes to calm a storm, to walk on water, to multiply bread and fishes, to feed thousands and thousands of people. You see, people are seeing the glory of God in Jesus. They are experiencing compassion and mercy and wisdom. They just want to touch Him. In Mark's Gospel, again and again, people are pressing around Jesus to touch Him, to get close to Him. He is glowing and shining and radiating with God's presence. You see? Am I running to Jesus? Are you running to Jesus in our trials, in our difficulties, in the mundaneness of life? Do we run to Jesus to embrace Him? To speak the sweetness of His name, sweeter than honey. To find our pleasure and our joy, our peace and our confidence in His presence. The Lord who rides on the clouds. He makes the clouds his chariots. And he's going to come back on the clouds. 
clouds in the Bible are a symbol of God's presence. Jesus is on those clouds. When I see clouds, I smile. And so he makes the clouds his chariots. Jesus is right there. Not so far away in this enormous, incredibly vast universe. The clouds are right there, right in the air around us. The Lord is right here. He is moving. He is working. He is loving. He is leading. He is speaking. You see, we believe this. And we are here because we want to learn better how to live our lives in God's presence and to worship Him in all that we do. So that what we are doing is drawing on the presence of Christ as we're doing what we're doing. You see, in every situation, we can just be using our own, our own thoughts, our own muscles, our own abilities, or we can be tapping into the presence of the Lord. The hand of salvation that reaches down from heaven, not only to help us come to Christ and cross the line, receive the gift of eternal salvation. But in our whole life long, we need deliverance. We need help. We need power. The hand of salvation, the hand of the Lord, reaches down to us. Am I taking hold of that hand? Well, I find out when storms come. That's one of the purposes of trials in our lives. They test us. The Bible tells us this over and over. And when the storm comes... How do I react? Let's see. So, Mark 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 4, 35. This is probably the most famous version of the storm uh, that Jesus calms. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was nearly swamped. It was filling with water, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, saying to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Wow. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Eternal One, the radiance of God's glory. Oh my gosh, He calms the storm. The wind and the sea come to heal at His command. This is our Creator. This is the Lord of the universe. This is the cosmic Christ. And sitting next to Him in the boat, we might be scared. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of glory. You see? Interesting, Jesus says, why are you scared? Don't you know I love you? Don't you remember I'm gentle with you? Maybe that's what he's saying there. And so Jesus calms the storm. In Mark's Gospel, the ancient symbol for the Gospel is the lion. If you either look at each of the four Gospels, have these ancient symbols that were uh, drawn in art uh, 
and you'll, you'll see them on old churches. And Mark's gospel is the lion because Jesus is delivering people of demons and he's, he's calming the storm like this and just lots of situations of Jesus with authority and power. He's the son of God. Mark's gospel is uh, Peter's gospel. Mark traveled with Peter. He listened to Peter give this sermon uh, hundreds, thousands of times. He memorized it and then he gave it to us. The Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, calms our storm. And so we cry out to Him when we need healing, when we need help in our finances, when we have conflict with a loved one. In all sorts of challenges in our lives, we cry out to Jesus to calm the storm. And God does miracles. He does calm storms. He does do great deliverances. The greatest of which, of course, is our transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is the God that we worship. Well, let's turn to Matthew 8 and look at the Matthew's uh, version of the, the calming of the storm. Same story. The texts very much agree with each other. But, you know, when two people are telling the same story, they'll sometimes bring out different aspects of the story. There's a difference here. And Matthew is writing after Mark. We, kn- we know this from uh, studying the, the, uh, the Gospels. Matthew is drawing on Mark's account. Okay? But look at how he, he brings out something different. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Do you notice anything different about Matthew's story? Is he bringing out a different detail here? Notice that he has Jesus saying, before, to the disciples, before he calms the storm, Jesus says, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Okay, so let's just, let's use uh, some, uh, our skills of meditating on Scripture here for a moment, and let's just imagine the text here. Imagine yourself in this story, okay? We're, we're in the boat with Jesus. Uh, we're in the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. It's an amazing place to be, surrounded by mountains. And all of a sudden, a great thunderstorm whips up on the sea. Wind is, is swirling. Rain is pelting down. Waves are thrashing into the boat. It's filling the boat. And we're with these burly fishermen, strong men of the sea, salty men. These men know how to, to sail a boat. They know how to navigate a storm. But they are scared. We're going down. We're going to drown, okay? And so here's Jesus. And we've gotten, we've experienced his great power to do miracles and to heal people. And he is sleeping. He is sleeping. And we're dying. You ever feel like Jesus is sleeping on you? God has taken a nap. God has gone away. He's not hearing my prayers. He's not doing what I want. Of course, there are times that we all feel that way. Well, that seems to be how the disciples are feeling here. They wake Jesus. They're frustrated. Wake up. Wake up. 
do something. I mean, the, 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 the fishermen disciples are, are trying to fix the boat. They're trying to keep, stay alive here. Now, so what do you think Jesus is doing? I mean, one theory would be he's faking it. He's just kind of laying there with this kind of a smile. <clears throat> I'm the son of God. I'm going to calm the storm, but I'm just going to let them squirm a little bit. You think that's what Jesus is doing? Jesus doesn't seem like a poser to me. I don't think he would fake something like that. So he must be sleeping, like the Scripture says. It's hard to imagine he'd be like totally zonked out and oblivious of the freezing rain that's pelting on him, the waves that are thrashing into the boat, the, the thunder. The, the, you know, I, so there must be something in between here. He must be like napping. He is really resting. Why is Jesus resting? Now, I've given you one theory. He's thinking, oh, I'm just going to calm the storm. Well, let me, here's my theory. Jesus is resting because that's how much he trusts his Father. That's how much he trusts the Sovereign Lord. If the boat goes down, he's okay with bobbing around in the water holding on to a plank. God is good. My Father loves us. I don't think Jesus is worried about it. It's quite possible that he had no thought to calm the storm until after he was awoken. Whatever is actually going on in Jesus' thoughts and feelings, what we know is there is a great calm in Jesus before there is a great calm in the storm and in the sea. Jesus speaks the peace of God that is in his body into the storm. That's how he does the miracle. I mean, really. Jesus doesn't do his miracles like automatically because he's the son of God. You read John's gospel and time, again, 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 and again. The son can do nothing except what the father is doing. The son is submitted to the father in all things. I only say and do what the father is saying and doing. Jesus is under the father's orders and power. He, is, he humbled himself. Philippians 2, the great kenosis passage, we read about Jesus emptying himself of, of his uh, privileges of the Godhead and, and the eternal being and being in heaven and is part of the Trinity. And he all, he's still part of the Trinity, but he takes on human flesh and he takes on real human limitations. So Jesus walks about this earth as a human being for 33 years and is tempted to sin in every way that we are and says no. Not because he has to, because he's God. He says no to sin because he's too smart. He knows the sin is stupid. And he's drawing his life and his joy and his peace and his power from being in his Father's presence. In this union. Jesus is in union with the Father as he is in the boat in the storm. Jesus isn't just in the boat. He is in the kingdom of God. He has brought the boat and the storm into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just a far off and away later when we die. The, you know, nor is it just like a principle of, of, of rule. The kingdom of God is a reality, a spiritual reality, a hidden reality. It's the Father's world, and it's right here where we are, where the angels are, where Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And we can bring our bodies and our thoughts into the kingdom of God right now. And so Jesus speaks the peace in his body into the storm. And Matthew is bringing out to us 
Jesus says to these disciples, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Before he calms the storm. So apparently he said it twice. Why does he say this before he calms the storm? Now, you know, when you read that, I wonder what you see in Jesus' face when he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. What do you see there? You might see a frown. You might see a frustrated, angry Jesus. Oh, I'm so tired of putting up with you disciples. Don't you believe in me yet? Why are you so slow to... What's the matter with you? Come on, think. I mean, some of us relate to God like that. Like, like, Like he's disappointed in us. Like he's frowning. Like he's criticizing our faults. We might see Jesus just exasperated with his disciples there. I mean, the tone of voice and, and the nonverbals, what's in Jesus' face, it matters a lot. What if it's like this? <laughs> oh, come on, you guys, you little face. I love, I love you. I'm so glad you're here with me. Come, come along with me. Think about this. Did you see how I was relaxed in a peace in the storm? You see how I trust God? I invite you to join me and trust God. I, you're, you're, I know it's hard for you to, to understand this, that you don't have to only live in terms of your bodies and your circumstances in this world. You can learn from me how to live in this spiritual reality of the kingdom of the heavens. It's right here. It's right now. It's why I've been napping. Now, guys, let me show you the kingdom of God in power in another way. Peace! Be still. And there was a great calm. So do you see that there are two miracles in this story? I think we missed the hidden miracle. I think we are so uh, enamored with, impressed by, blown away by Jesus calming the storm. It is an incredible miracle. Very important that we understand. Jesus is part of the Trinity. He is God. He has power over nature. An amazing thing. And Jesus loves us so much that He calms storms in our lives too. That's really important. But don't miss the hidden miracle that Matthew is bringing out. Jesus knows how to be calm in storms. Jesus knows how to react to stress with the peace of the Lord. How about me? How about you? Do we know how to be peaceful in storms? Look at Jesus in Mark's Gospel when the Pharisees and the Herodians are plotting to kill him. Already in Mark 3, verse 6. Also in Mark 3, his family rejects him and his ministry twice. Then again later in Mark 6. How does Jesus react to these storms, to being opposed, criticized by his family, his kinfolk in Nazareth, by the religious leaders, the elite of the day, wanting to kill him? He speaks the truth in love. He remains at peace. How about at his cross? Why did Simon of Cyrene come to believe in him, the father of Alexander and Rufus? And he came to believe in Jesus because 
we read in Romans, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that Alexander and Rufus were followers of Jesus. I believe that Simon of Cyrene became a follower of Jesus after he carried his cross. How about the thief? There were two thieves. They were both criticizing Jesus. But one of them came to trust in him. The Roman soldier, he came to believe in Jesus, the one who killed him. We read in Mark's Gospel, this is the Son of God. How is this? It's because of how Jesus died, because he died with grace and gentleness and compassion and love for all of his enemies, because he was calm in a storm. Yes, he cried out in pain. Yes, he was being tortured. Yes, he had emotions about this. But we can have more than one emotion at a time. Jesus was trusting God, and there was a peace in his body. Jesus was a non-anxious presence. He's living in the easy yoke of Matthew 11 that he invites us into. The easy yoke, an easy way of doing hard things. Jesus is calm in the storm. He is a non-anxious presence. We struggle with anxiety, don't we? We worry about things. We ruminate about things. We get tense. We get Knots in our stomach, butterflies in our stomach, churning in our stomach. We get anxious about things. We worry about what people think about us. We worry about our performance. We try to do more and better. We perhaps criticize ourselves, judge ourselves, fall into feelings of inadequacy. We feel rejected. We, people say things to us that, that we don't like, and we, we replay the conversations in our minds over and over again. We get sweaty palms and racing, a racing heart. We feel claustrophobic and closed in. We, we wrestle and toss and turn in bed and can't sleep. These are some of the symptoms of anxiety. Probably all of us, to some extent or another, at different times in our life, we know what it's like to feel anxious. Jesus felt anxious at times too, certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane, anticipating the cross other times. But Jesus was not governed by anxiety. He was governed by love. Because Jesus didn't have control issues like we do. I've talked to hundreds of people that struggle with anxiety. I have had significant struggles with anxiety in my life, especially in the past. And uh, my book, Your Best Life in Jesus' Easy Yoke, is all about dealing with anxiety and stress in the context of our apprenticeship to Jesus in the kingdom of God. See, being a disciple of Jesus ought to make a difference with the stress that we feel and the anxiety that we're tempted with. It does if we understand how to be a disciple. And that's uh, a main theme in, in my life and in our soul shepherding ministry is learning how to deal with stress in the easy yoke of Jesus. Learning that easy way of doing hard things. We have hard things in our life. Many challenging, painful situations. Life is not easy. Jesus didn't say life was easy. He said there is a yoke, an attachment, an attachment to Him and to His Father that is secure and safe and powerful. And that yoke, that way, that teaching, that life with God is easy, is better, is love and grace filled, is peace filled. And helps us deal with difficult, challenging, unfair things. The non-anxious presence of Jesus 
Imagine being a non-anxious presence in traffic with a messy house. Some of you have little kids at home. And we, Christy and I, remember that. The hour from hell, we called it, right before dinner. (laughs) When the kids are over hungry and, you know, we're just getting dinner ready and maybe it's a little late and there's crankiness and fussy, fussiness, squabbling. When you feel rejected, disappointed, that happened to me the other day. Someone that I care for uh, a lot and uh, do life with and uh, really invested in uh, made a decision that really hurt me, really disappointed me. I felt very disrespected. And I felt like, wow, all, all that I have done for you and really this, this, is what you're, this is the decision that you've made. It's very hurtful to me. So how do I react to that stress? See? We all experience things like this. See? Well, I have emotion about it. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. I feel rejected. I might feel angry. I did feel angry. And so I talk to a safe friend, and I process, and I receive empathy, and I pray through my emotions. And I pray for my friend that hurt me. I pray blessings upon him. I thank God for his life. And I pray for God to do good things with this decision he's making. It's not a sinful decision. It just was hurtful to me. And I pray that God will bless where this decision leads him. And the aspects of it that are hurtful to me, I want to love the friend who now, in a way, feels like an enemy to me. He doesn't mean to be an enemy to me, but it's how it feels. I think you can relate to this experience in stresses like these. Are we in the easy oak of Jesus? Can we, be, can we become calm in the storm? That doesn't mean we have no feelings. It means that we, we process our emotions and we, ex- we receive empathy from God and from people that care about us and we experience what's called catharsis. The venting and releasing of emotion in a, as long as we do it in a way that we are taking ownership of it, expressing our emotion, asking for what we need, receiving compassion from somebody, we experience catharsis, relief, peace, clarity, the great calm. Jesus calms the storm of anxiety within us. When we can't sleep at night, when we're waiting for our prayer to be answered, look to Jesus glowing. Look to Jesus in your midst, smiling, shining, and radiating with the love of God. So, how can we be calm in storms like Jesus? Let me just offer a few practical thoughts as we conclude our message this morning and this uh, study of the Gospel. And so we've been saying that, that Jesus calms storms, and before that, Jesus is calm in the storm. Two miracles here. And we are praying to be like Jesus that we could be calm in a storm and wait for him to calm our storm. If you have really daring faith, maybe you would pray to learn how to calm storms. That would be really something. How about Rembrandt? Have you seen, ever seen his famous painting of the calming of the, the storm on the Sea of Galilee? See the boat there with the fishermen, disciples there in the boat. And see how those waves are just thrashing into the boat. And see how the, the fishermen are, are working on, on the sails, trying to, 
This one up at the top there, he's, he's trying to fix that sail. Look how focused he is. Man, laser focus. Incredible, huh? Look at the, uh, the guy at the oar at the very bottom there. It's kind of dark there, but there's a, 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 the helmsman, he, and he's trying to steer the boat in the storm. It's, it's not easy. And you got people doing different things. They're, they're uh, near the, the, the bottom left. There's a guy leaning over the boat. Looks like he's heaving, vomiting. He's so upset about this storm. Uh, there's another guy in the middle on the left uh, where the, the light is shining, uh, breaking through the clouds. And he's kind of hanging on for dear life. And there's people in the, in the middle around the, the main mast there. They're trying to fix that sail that's torn and broken. So people are doing different things. If you look closely, you can see Jesus near the bottom in the middle. And there, there's a halo around him. And, you know, that, that halo is not just painted in there for effect. Jesus is glowing for real. Like people can feel it and they can see it if, if they ponder, if they look with their hearts. And Jesus is at peace. Some of the disciples are, are rousing him and stirring him. Rembrandt has painted himself into this painting, and he has painted you and I in here. Which character do we identify with? Uh, you could do a meditation on that. We, we have this uh, picture on our Soul Shepherding website with, it, with a meditation that goes through the painting. Just like you meditate on Scripture, you can meditate on art, or you can meditate on something in nature like a tree or a stream. And uh, if you go on Soul Shepherding and, and you look up Calming the Storm uh, in Rembrandt, you will see our meditation that goes through each of the characters. Which one do you identify with? How do you react to storms? Well, to be calm in a storm, we need to enter into that, that, that gospel story with the Lord. And we need to envision ourselves there with Jesus in the kingdom of the heavens. As Jesus is calm in the storm, you know, if you didn't think, if you don't think it's possible to be like Jesus, God just says, hey, look at my friend Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul. And we know Paul's story. We know how God saved his soul. How about the story in Acts chapter 16 in the Philippian jail? When Paul and Silas had been uh, lashed with a whip and beaten and nearly to death and thrown in jail all because they they delivered uh, a girl who was a fortune teller and was using demonic power to to get money for her owners and they delivered her of the demons and it made the people mad and they wanted to get rid of paul and silas because it was hurting them financially and so paul and silas are thrown in jail their feet are up put in stocks they're bruised and bleeding it's all unfair they haven't done anything wrong except love people and, and share about Jesus. And what do they do? They're singing hymns, praising God, rejoicing. They're at peace, even though their bodies are screaming in pain, even though their emotions are saying, this isn't fair. But they've got other emotions too, because they're not just in the jail, they are in the kingdom of God. Later, Paul writes to the people of Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and so forth. We love these words. Do you ever think about Paul bleeding and bruised in jail? Can you imagine being, he was in a different jail when he wrote these words to the Philippians. 
Can you imagine being one of those Philippians that put Paul in jail? They were so mad, about, mad at him. And heard the story that when the, the earthquake came, he didn't run out of jail, and nobody did because they were so concerned for the Philippian jailer. And in fact, when they were, had been so beaten and were so uh, in pain and bleeding, they were singing hymns with joy, and they had great peace. Wow. Paul had power over the whole jail cell. None of, the, none of these criminals wanted to escape because Paul said, no, don't. Look, there's a man and his wife and his kids that are in danger over there. If we leave, he's going to kill himself. Don't leave. Look, God's going to take care of us. Why did they believe this guy? Hardened criminals? When you believe a man like that, who's calm in a storm, who's blessing those that curse him, who's loving his enemies, who's singing hymns with joy when he's bruised and bleeding... Paul has knowledge of the presence of God. And so he, that gives him authority. People listen to him. Paul shows us how to be calm in a storm. You might want to memorize Philippians 4. It's an amazing passage to memorize. Think about Paul. It will help you envision your life in the kingdom of the heavens. Paul shows us how to do it. He didn't have any special advantages. Secondly, we can express anxious feelings to a friend who gives us empathy. I've illustrated that to you from my life. Psalm 139, Search me and know me, O God. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Do we ever pray like this? Search me, O God, and know me. Help me understand my emotions, my stress, my anxiety. When Paul says, do not be anxious, you've got to look at the nonverbals, like I was saying about Jesus when he says, oh, you have little faith. You've got to understand, and I, and I paraphrase this in my Easy Yoke book, but what, what Paul is saying here is when you are anxious, when you are worried, because look, we all have these emotions. Don't be, be controlled by that. Don't be buried in that. Talk to God about your anxiety. Talk to somebody who is safe. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Paul and the Lord are not judging us or criticizing us or impatient with us because we have anxious feelings. The Bible does not teach us to deny our emotions, to negate them, to pretend that they're not there. No, the Bible teaches us, most especially in the Psalms, but throughout to be honest about what we feel and to seek empathy from God and other people and then to move into faith and trust in God. In fact, being vulnerable about our emotions is an act of faith. You see? And so expressing our anxious feelings to a friend, that helps us come to a place of empathy. That's part of envisioning ourselves in the kingdom of the heavens. It's not just a, a, a principle. It's a reality. John Wesley found this when he was caught in a storm at sea and he was so scared and he was so anxious and, and he thought the boat was going down and he couldn't sleep. The great man of God, the great preacher of God's word. And he saw the Moravians on the ship and they were singing hymns like Paul and Silas in jail. And they had this sense of community. They were supporting each other. They had compassion for each other. And John Wesley realized they have a presence of God that I don't have yet. John Wesley actually marks his conversion at that point. Probably it was more like a, a second 
conversion because it seemed like he was pretty converted before that, but he wasn't experiencing the peace of the Lord. He wanted what the Moravians had. And so he he went on a deeper journey. And and it changed the world. Tens of millions of people came to follow Jesus because of the ministry of John Wesley. And a big part of it was what he learned from the Moravians. How to be calm in a storm. How to praise God in stress. You see? And so a third thing we can do to be calm in storms like Jesus we can practice silence. Psalm 62, 5, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My soul finds rest in God alone. Another translation, Quiet yourself, O my soul. Be quiet in the Lord's presence. Be calm in God's presence. He's the sovereign Lord. He's with you. He loves you. He rejoices over you with singing, Zephaniah says. He enjoys your company. You've seen the movie The Music of Silence. Andre Bocelli, the great opera singer with a tenor voice. He wouldn't have been able to be so uh, successful in using the gift of his voice if he hadn't done a lot of training. And the movie tells the story of his training with his maestro. And the key in the training was the practice of silence. The maestro taught him, unless you learn to be silent you won't be able to feel deeply. And if you don't feel deeply, you cannot sing opera. And the the beauty and glory of the voice that God has given you will will be diminished. You need the silence. And Andrew, Andre Bocelli uh, trusted God's presence and God's peace. He gives testimony to the Lord God in the use of his gift. So finally, last point, how do we be calm in storms? I said, well, we envision ourselves with Jesus in the kingdom of the heavens. And that that includes meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture, uh, imagining ourselves in gospel stories. Secondly, we express our anxious feelings to the Lord, to a friend who gives us empathy as the psalmist models. Uh, James models in James 5.16, confess your your faults and your struggles one to another that you may be healed. And then thirdly, we practice silence to feel. To feel our emotion, our stress, but also to feel God's presence. They go together. If you deny your negative, unwanted emotions, you're going to have difficulty feeling the positive ones, the warm ones, the the sense of love and joy and peace. And then fourthly, we watch and pray. Jesus teaches the disciples to watch and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. They don't learn until later. But this is a discipline of anticipating uh, trials in our life, the challenges that come. This is something else that we talk about in the Easy Oak book. But it's a way of, of praying into the upcoming challenge that we will trust the Lord in that situation, that we will appreciate God's presence in our difficulty, in our stress, in the injustice. And so we pray uh, the words of Jesus in closing We just imagine ourselves now with Jesus in the boat, in the storm. And as each of us offer to the Lord the storm in our lives, whatever trial you're facing today, just say, Jesus, I lay that before you. Lord, I pray that you would calm the storm. 
And while I'm waiting for you to calm the storm, I'm looking into your face, Jesus. You are calm and at peace in the storm. Your body, as you nap there, Jesus, as you are resting in Abba's arms of love, I'm getting your vibe, the words that you would later speak. Peace, be still. Lord, help me to hear those words in my body. Peace, be still. My face to hear those words and to smile because I'm with you, Lord, and you love me. And you're in charge. Peace. Be still. You can smile in God's presence. Calm my body. Maybe I need to breathe these words in. Breathing in. Peace. Breathing out. Be still. When we're anxious, our breathing becomes shallow. Important part of calming down is to take some deep breaths. How much more helpful is deep breathing if we do it as a prayer? And if we pray the words of Jesus, breathing in peace, breathing out, be still. Thank you, God. We entrust our lives to you. We ask you to calm the storm that we are concerned about. And we also ask you to calm us in the storm in the meantime, that we might be witnesses for you. And maybe we could glow a little like you glow, Jesus, drawing people to God with you, our great God of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been fun to share with you. I'll be hanging out at the book table afterwards. Love to to greet you and uh, love to connect with you on our Soul Talks podcast. If you don't listen to our podcast or our uh, email devotional we put out each week, the Soul Shepherding devotional, which you can sign up for there at the back. Thank you.